the Lord gives us a, spe- a specific promise or a, a specific promise to the reader and to the hearer of Revelation. And he says, you know, blessed is he who hears the words of this book and who reads them, you know, and, to, and who, who does them. And so I'm being for sure blessed by Revelation. And so we come now to chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. And uh, just a little recap uh, of where we're at right now and uh, as far as the timeline of, of the book. Uh, we are studying the, the events of the last days, uh, a period known as the tribulation period. It's a, tribu- it's a period of, of seven years after the rapture of the church. And so this, this is uh, end time stuff, you know, uh, prophecy stuff. You know, it's the stuff that, that movies are made out of. You know, you, you read some of the stuff and, and you see, man, how, how, uh, uh, how tragic it's going to be, you know, in those last days for those who are, who are left behind, you know, who haven't placed their faith in Jesus. And so we see that, that we're entering now uh, specifically the second half of those seven years. So it's those, that seven-year tribulation period, but we're studying now specifically the, that second half of those seven years, which would be three and a half years. And so we see that chapter 6 began, began unfolding for us in, in detail some of the events that would take place here on earth uh, as God's judgment is poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. And we saw that it would be horrible things. It would be uh, tragic things. Right? But we see that it was all done, and it's all going to be done with the intention of, of just God extending his mercy one more time. You know, after, after people rejected him time and time and time uh, again, and we see that God's going to continue to extend his mercy. Uh, but now it's just going to kind of, you know, in, in a harsher way, but it's like anything to get someone to, to recognize, man, I need God, right? I need, I need his salvation. And so a lot, a lot, all the events that we're, that we're about to read about, you know, what we've been studying, the stuff that happens on the earth, you know, the plagues, the different judgments, again, this is... Uh, take it as, as God's, you know, a harsh kind of kind of uh, uh, hand of discipline, right? In order to, to get people to recognize. I mean, the Bible tells us that that he that he whom whom God loves, he corrects, you know, or he chastises, right? And that just like a parent chastises his own son, it is so God chastises, you know, those whom He loves. And so this is again the, the hand of mercy, uh, the hand of God's mercy here on earth. And so we left off uh, in between the sixth and the seventh trumpet of judgment. And we see that John hears a voice in heaven, and then he, he sees another vision of things that are going to happen here on earth in the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. And so with that, we'll pick it up in uh, chapter 11. And it says, Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and an angel stood saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles. And they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days, clothed in sackcloth. And let's stop right there. And so we see that, that, that John is given, now again, as we're in between the sixth and seventh trumpet, and now all of a sudden John is given this, uh, this, this measuring stick, right? Or this measuring tape, I'll call it, his measuring tape. And here's a voice from heaven telling him, all right, measure, and then he's told to measure three things. He says, Measure the, the temple of God, measure the altar of sacrifice, and measure the people who are worshiping there. Now, that's interesting because, again, if you didn't know, throughout, throughout Jewish history, uh, the Jews have had two temples. One temple was built by Solomon, which was the first temple that they had there in Israel. It was built by, 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 by King Solomon, King David's son. You can read about it there in First Kings chapter 8. The second temple, because the first one was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar when, when the people of Israel were taken into captivity into Babylon. And then, so that temple was destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar. You can read about that in the book of Daniel. And so the second temple was built in the days of, of Zerubbabel the priest and also Ezra. And you can read about that in Ezra chapter 3. And so 
And we see that in the time of Jesus, when we read through the Gospels and when we read that Jesus was going to the temple and the disciples would go to the temple and people were there at the temple worshiping, it was that same temple that was built by, by Ezra and Zerubbabel, only that King Herod had, had kind of beautified it. Right? When, when, the, when the Jews went back from captivity, they didn't have anything. Right? They had been uh, uh, strangers. They had been away from the land for, for about 70 years. The land was left in ruins. The city was left in ruins. Um, it was Nehemiah who, who was given the task of rebuilding the city, and Ezra was given the task of rebuilding the temple. Now, with limited resources, they kind of just built up whatever they could with whatever they had at the moment because they wanted a place to worship God. So it wasn't the, it wasn't the, 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 the most beautiful of all temples, right? It was just kind of just... A place to worship God. We're told there in the book of Ezra that even the, 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 all the old timers who, who had seen the previous temple, when they saw the new one built up by Ezra and Zerubbabel, it says that, that they just they burst out in tears because they saw that the former temple had been way more glorious than the one they had now. And so we see that in the New Testament, uh, when, when it talks about the temple, the, the temple that Jesus went into, it was that same temple that, that, that Zerubbabel and, 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 and Ezra the priest built, only that King Herod had beautified it he, uh, had, he, uh, he added to it, he built it up higher, he, he decorated it, he covered the walls with, with, uh, with gold, right? So he, he made it into a glorious temple. Now, Jesus, as he was there here on his earthly ministry, uh, he predicted this about that temple. And he says this in Matthew 24, 1-2. He says, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came up to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? He says, Surely I tell you, that not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And so as Jesus was here on earth with his disciples, you know, his disciples, they're excited, right? This is their Messiah. This is who they've been waiting for. He's the, the, the teacher of Israel. And they're kind of showing him around, hey, Jesus, uh, have you checked out our temple? It's awesome, right? And Jesus tells them, look, man, I, 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 he tells them, look, I'm going to tell you something. Uh, this temple is going to be destroyed, and, and I guarantee you that not one of these stones is going to be left you know, upon one another. And so Jesus prophesied the, the, the destruction of that second temple. It actually happened in 70 AD under uh, General Roman, the Roman General Titus. He went in to, to, to siege the city. The, the Jews had, had kind of started this, this revolt against, against Rome. And, and, the, and the Roman Emperor Titus, he went in there. He had told his men, all right, we're going to go in there. We're going to take the people. We're going to take their stuff, but don't touch the temple. Right? One of the guys... The story goes, history goes, that one of the guys was, was drunk, he was mad, and, and, and he threw a flaming torch into the temple, and that everything caught on fire, and eventually all the gold started melting from the walls. And so the Roman emperor Titus and his guys, they figured, well, if it's melting, might as well salvage it. So they started breaking down all the bricks in order to, 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 to scrap all that, all that liquid gold that had melted off the walls. And Jesus' prophecy was fulfilled there in 70 AD that not one stone was left turned upon another. And so I say it to say this. Right, that, that here's John now in chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. Right, he's looking into the future events, the tribulation period. And, and he's told to measure the temple. Which means that sometime during the, uh, uh, after the rapture of the church, and sometime during the first three and a half years, a third temple was built there in Jerusalem. Right, because the second one was destroyed. To this day, they don't have a temple. You go to Israel, and the location where the, where the Jewish temple is supposed to be, it's replaced now by, by, a, by a Muslim mosque. Right, And so they don't have a temple today. But here's John in chapter 11. He's told, measure the temple, measure the outer courts, and measure the people who are worshiping there at the temple. And so again, this tells us that somewhere in those three and a half years, those first three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period, this, this third temple was, was, was built. Now, the scripture actually tells us that this is exactly what would happen. And scripture tells us that, that the Antichrist 
will help the Jews rebuild the temple. And at the beginning of the seven, 70 years, he's going to give them permission to do it. He's going to somehow establish a peace treaty so, so that the, the Jews could, could build their temple. They could worship God freely. And then it tell, scripture tells us that halfway through, through the seven years, that, that he's going to put an end to all the temple sacrifice. And I get this from uh, the book of Daniel. We studied the book of Daniel a few months back. And in Daniel 9.27, we, we, we read about this, this vision that, that, that Daniel got this prophecy. And it says this in Daniel 9.27. It says, then he shall confirm, speaking about the Antichrist, it says, he shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. But in the middle of that week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and to offering. And so keep in mind that this, that this week that Daniel speaking of, you know, is, is, a, is a period of seven years, specifically the, the seven-year tribulation period that we're reading about right now in the book of Revelation. And so, and so Daniel was given a prophecy about those seven years, and he says that the Antichrist will establish a peace treaty and that, that he will give them permission to worship God again in their temple, but that halfway through that, that, those seven years, which is three and a half years, he's going to put an end to all sacrifice. And then we're told that eventually the Antichrist will demand that he, will be, that he be worshipped as God. And we get that actually from the Apostle Paul. There in 2 Thessalonians 2.3, Paul writes and he says this. He says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so Paul tells us, in, 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 in accordance with, with what Daniel received and in accordance to what we're, we're reading about now in the book of Revelation, you know, Paul confirms that he says, yeah, the Antichrist is going to come in. He's going to put an end to all worship of God. He's going to come into the temple. He's going to demand that he be worshipped as God, you know, him being the Antichrist. And it's at that moment that everyone's going to realize, man, we got the wrong guy, right? You talk to an Orthodox Jew right now and you, and you ask him, uh, who's your Messiah? You know, when's your Messiah going to come? For the most part, they, they, he, he, he came, you know, when Jesus was born, he was a Messiah, but for the most part, they missed it. They didn't receive him as Messiah. Why? Why? Because uh, they couldn't comprehend the fact that their Messiah was going to suffer, that he was going to be beaten, that he was going to be betrayed, that he was going to be crucified, that he was going to die. Right? They, could, they couldn't reconcile the, the, those parts of, of the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. So when Jesus came on the scene, right, they rejected him as Messiah. And so they're, they're still looking for their Messiah, and they're still waiting for their Messiah. And if you speak to an Orthodox Jew, you ask them, well, who's your Messiah? They'll, they'll tell you that, that their Messiah, when Messiah comes, he's going he's gonna to allow them to build that third temple. He's going he's gonna to reestablish uh, uh, this worship unto God again. And so little do they know, you know that, that that's actually going to be the Antichrist. And so it's just interesting, you know, that again, looking to these future events and just how Scripture lines up, it's just amazing to see, man, that God makes no mistakes. And so we go on and, and we see that John is told, he says, all right, measure the temple, measure the altar of sacrifice, measure the people that are worshiping there. But he's told, but don't measure the outer courts for it has been given to the Gentiles, talking about those who don't know God. And speaking about, uh, about the, the destruction that, that, that the Antichrist will, will bring on the city. You know, but notice that it says that's going to be for a specific time. He says, it's been given to the Gentiles for 42 months, right? That's what it says, for 42 months, which if you break it down, you know, 42 months, uh, talking about a 360-day uh, uh, Jewish year, it's, it's three and a half years, right? So again, we're, we're talking about the second three and a half years of the seven-year tribulation period. Now, again, this just confirms to us, you know, that, 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 that these events that we're reading about, that we're talking about this morning, are going to take place the second half of that tribulation period. And, and we see that we're introduced now to, to uh, two of God's witnesses, right? There in the second part of, uh, 
of verse 2. It says, But leave out the court which is outside of the temple, and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the, the holy city under for, underfoot for 42 months. He says, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 1, days. And so we're introduced now to, to two witnesses. All right. Now, the Greek word for, for witnesses here is, is, uh, is translated into the word martyr. Martyr. When, and we see that in the New Testament when, when this word martyr is used. You know, it's, it's always speaking of a person who, is, who, is, who has died or who has been killed uh, uh, because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And so when you read witness there, you can replace it with the word martyr. Right? So these are two martyrs. These are two witnesses. These are two believers for, for, for Christ who are going to be, uh, who God is going to use them. In the second, second half of the tribulation period, he's going to use them for his glory. He's going to use them to kind of, to, to, to preach the gospel one last time, right? And so we see that God's going to use these two guys. Now, because, because in the New Testament, when he uses that word martyr, it's always referring to a person. We could conclude that it's not, that these two, these two guys, they're not angels. They're not any angelic beings. They're not like these divine, you know, uh, beings. But they're, they're, they're individuals. They're, they're, they're people. They're people. And I say that because, you know, there's, there's this, you know, I've heard it taught that these two guys, that the two martyrs are two angels or like that come in disguise or something. But we see that it's two men that God's going to use. And we see that God's going to protect these two witnesses and he's going to commission them to preach the gospel and repentance during, during the second half of the tribulation period. Now, notice it says that they're going to prophesy for 1,260 days, which again, we're talking about a, a Jewish 360 days. So if you, you know, if you divide 1,260 1, by three and a half, it gives you, a, you know, it gives you those, uh, those three and a half. Hey, I, 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 I was working on it this morning. I had to make sure I had my math right. <laughs> uh, we don't want what happened last, last Wednesday to happen again. Uh, and, and so we see that, that this is talking again about this second half of, the, of that tribulation period, right? Now, we see that, 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 the Lord tells, uh, that the Lord tells John, he says, he says, and I will give power to my witnesses. So God himself is going to give power to his two witnesses to, to, so they could be on the earth and, and, and preach the gospel during this, these dark times, right? And we see that it's going to take the power of God uh, through the Holy Spirit in order to preach the gospel during a time where the Antichrist is reigning, during a time where, where God has been rejected, you know, despite all kinds of plagues and, and, and stuff that came on the earth. I mean, it's dark times. Right, he's—they're going to be like the, the the minority. I mean, the Christians are are already the minority now. But just imagine in the tribulation period when it's like this whole satanic satanic agenda is just out in the open. All of a sudden, man, here comes these two guys, and for three and a half uh, for three and a half years, they're preaching Jesus and repentance. And so God says, He says, I'm going to give them my power, you know, for so so they could preach for those three and a half years, right? And it was going to take the power of the Holy Spirit in order for you guys to be effective during this time, you know, amidst so much opposition. And so we get now into, into the, the identity of these two witnesses. Uh, verse 4 says, These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and, and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their, prophet, of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them into blood. And to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. We'll stop right there. And so again, we get out into, into the identity of these two guys. There's like all kinds of, uh, of confusion. There's all kinds of kind of just, everyone wonders, man, who are these guys? Who are these guys, right? You want, it's like it's these mysterious uh, 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 people, you know, that just come on the scene out of nowhere. 
And so everyone wants to know, who are these two guys? And so we're told there, here in verse 4, uh, they tell him right away, says, these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. Now in the Greek, when it says the two, it's speaking about a specific, a specific uh, 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 two. It says these are the two olive trees and the two lampstands. So what is, what, what, what is being referred to here? Now, and there's actually a quote from, from the Old Testament in the book of Zechariah. And the Old Testament book of Zechariah, a prophecy is given to Zechariah. And it says this in Zechariah 4.2. It says, here's Zechariah. He's receiving this, this, uh, this word from an angel. And he tells him this in Zechariah 4.2. It says, and he said to me, what do you see? And Zechariah said, uh, I'm looking and there is a lampstand of solid gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the stand, there's seven lamps with seven pipes to seven lamps. What's going on here, right? He says, and then two olive trees are by it. One at the right hand of the bowl and the other at the left. So I answered and spoke to the angel who talked with me saying, what are these, my Lord? Then the angel who talked with me answered and said to me, do you not know what these are? And I said, no, my Lord. So he answered and he said to me, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, the priest. He said, it's not by my nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so, again, he, uh, as the angel is giving this vision to, to Zechariah, you know, and, and, and Zechariah is just describing what he sees, he says, it says that he sees this lampstand. Keep in mind that they didn't have electricity back then, so uh, 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 they, they would keep their, their lamps burning by oil, specifically olive oil, right? And so, and so they use olive oil to, to keep their lamps burning, and Zechariah, he's seeing this vision, he sees a lampstand, and he sees this bowl, and he sees two olive trees to the left and to the right, right? It takes olive oil to, to keep these lamps burning, and what, and what Zechariah sees is, is two olive trees, not two uh, jars of olive oil, but two olive trees, meaning the, the, the very essence, the very, you know, the very fountain of this, of, of this oil. And now here in chapter 11, we're told that these two witnesses, he says, these are the two olive trees, referring back to that vision of Zechariah in the Old Testament. And so the message, the message to, Zer, to Zerubbabel was that the work of God could only, could only be accomplished by the constant anointing, the constant uh, uh, filling of God's Holy Spirit. That's, that's the key. And so we see that these two men, these two, these two witnesses will be filled, they'll be driven, and they'll be empowered by the constant flowing of the Holy Spirit in and through their lives. So they're gonna they're gonna work it. They're gonna operate in a supernatural way because God Himself is just gonna uh, pour out His Holy Spirit and abundance to them, right? They're gonna be like those two like those two trees because that Holy Spirit is just constantly flowing through them and, and and in them and to them, right? And so we see again that these two men will be will be empowered by the Holy Spirit uh, for for forty two months, which is a thousand two hundred sixty sixty uh, sixty days, which is three and a half years in the Jewish calendar. So it's, they're gonna be empowered for those for that second half of the tribulation period. Now, I think this is awesome because for, for these two witnesses, specifically, you know, it's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit in order for their words to be effective during such a dark time. But in reality, this is a truth that applies to all of us. Why? Because if, if we're going to be effective witnesses for God in, in our time, uh, to our families, to our coworkers, to our loved ones, to our communities, to, to those around us in, in such a dark world, and we have to be operating in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, we're no different from these two guys. Yeah, they're set apart for a specific time, but the ministry is the same, right? What did Jesus say? He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's what he said, apart from me, you can do nothing. There's this, 
in chapter chapter 15 of the Gospel of John, and and and, uh, and Jesus goes on to describe his relationship between between uh, himself and and his and and the believers, his followers, and he says he says, uh, "I am the vine, and you are the branches." He says, and he says, "Abide in me, you know, because apart from me, you can't do anything." Right, and so this is that that, that that same power that's that's offered to us. This is that same power that that that, that, that we're to, to walk in. This that power of the Holy Spirit as we abide in Christ. You know, we are the branches that are attached to the vine that is Christ. Right, and as long as we remain in Him, as long as we remain abiding in Him, we have His Holy Spirit flowing through us, empowering for His work here on earth. Right, and just like these two guys, these two guys needed to be filled, empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to operate in such dark times, such demonic times. Well, for us as well, we need the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, too. I saw this meme, I think Angela posted or somebody posted it, man. And it says, like, and it says, like, uh, uh, do I really need the Holy Spirit to, to I don't know, to, to live or something like that? And it said, uh, it said, uh, yeah, he said, dude, I need the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. <laughs> you know, so it's, it was a funny meme, but, but I mean, the, 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 the truth, I mean, the truth is, the point is, is true, that we need the Holy Spirit at all times, right? And that we need the Holy Spirit in order to, I mean, I wake up in the morning, I say, Lord, Baptize me with the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to go to work for eight hours, do construction, you know, for eight hours. But, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit to fill me. Why? So I could be a good, effective witness for you there on the job site. And so we need the Holy Spirit every single day. And I encourage you guys to, to pray for that, for that baptism of the Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me to overflowing with your Holy Spirit. Help me to be a good, effective witness for you. Help me to operate, you know, in, in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are uh, love, kindness, mercy, you know, joy, uh, all these things, Lord, apart from you, man, if I'm not operating the Holy Spirit, my wife knows, man, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a completely different person, right? i got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so going, uh, going on now, we see now the power of these two witnesses. So we see their, their, their calling, we see their identity, and we see now the, the, the power that's given to these witnesses. We're told that these, that these two witnesses have the power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And so in other words, they have the power to bring forth a drought, right? And so... Interesting that, that the word power there in the Greek, it's the word uh, exousia. There's different, there are different words in the Greek to, to, to describe power. You know, one is a, a, a dunamis, uh, one is exousia. There's, there's different words in the Greek to describe power. This one specifically, exousia, when it talks about the, these two witnesses, that they're going to be given power to do these things, it means the authority to act, specifically the, the authority of God to act. So they're going to be acting in the authority of God. Right, and if they if they're if they're out there prophesying for three and a half years, and, and they say, you know what, no more rain, boom, it's not gonna rain. And they if they're out there prophesying, and someone's giving them a hard time or whatever, and they say, boom, fire, fire will come down. So we see that God's gonna gonna empower them in, in, in a unique way, you know, something like we haven't seen before. He's gonna empower them in a in a unique way in order to be just these effective witnesses, and 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 they would need to be empowered in this unique way. Because keep in mind that here we are in the second half of the tribulation period. The people have already seen stars falling from heaven. They've seen, you know, a, a, a great, great a tsunami. They've seen all kinds of crazy stuff. And yet there's still a whole bunch of people who have rejected God despite, you know, what they've already seen. So they, they're going to need to operate in this, in this supernatural way. And so we see now that, uh, again, they have the power over waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with all kinds of plagues. It says, as, as often as they desire you know, so, and so here comes the question, you know, so who are these guys? You know, who are these guys? Well, the Bible gives us in, insight into, into at least one of these guys, right? Turn with me there in the book, to the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. It's the last book of the Old Testament right before Matthew. And it says this in Malachi 4, 5. It says, Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet 
coming, uh, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And so the prophet Malachi is, is given this, this prophecy concerning the last days, right? And, and, and Malachi receives this prophecy, and he says, you know, and God is saying, behold, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet. Now keep in mind that Elijah the prophet has been, uh, has been gone out for a couple hundred years, right? You can could, you could read about Elijah's prophecy in First and Second Kings. He, he, had, he had already been gone from the scene for a couple hundred years, and all of a sudden here comes Malachi, and he's saying, and he receives a vision, a prophecy saying, hey, I'm going to send to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, interesting that if you're familiar with the, with the New Testament, you know, you know the, the character of John the Baptist. Now, when John the Baptist came, uh, many thought that, that he was Elijah. You know, a lot of the religious leaders, a lot of the people would question him, and they're like, hey, they, they told him straight up, are you Elijah? Right, because they, they, they all understood this prophecy, right? Them being good Jewish teachers and good Jew, Jewish scribes, they knew these prophecies concerning the Messiah, and they knew that Elijah had to come before the Messiah came. And so they questioned, they questioned John the Baptist, right? Because what was he preaching? He was preaching repentance. He said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So they, they thought, man, this is Elijah right here. And so John 1.19 tells us this. It says, now this is the testimony of John, speaking about John the Baptist. It says, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And it says, and he confessed and did not deny, says, but he confessed, and he says straight up, I'm not the Christ, because you know, they thought that he was the Christ. They say, he said, I'm not the Christ. And so they asked him, what then, are you Elijah? And he said, I'm not. And so they asked him, are you the prophet? And he answered, no. And he said to him, they said to him, who are you then, that we may give an answer to those who sent us? And he said, what do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, those who were sent from the Pharisees, uh, they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And so we see that, 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 that John the Baptist was questioned. You know, they, they thought that he, was, that, that he was Elijah. Now, based on this, since Elijah has not yet appeared, and Malachi tells us that Elijah is going to appear before the coming of, the, of, the, of, the, of God's judgment day. Uh, based on this, uh, many believe that, that one of these witnesses will be Elijah, right? Uh, or it could be some, some kind of someone who's just like super anointed, you know, who comes in the spirit of Elijah, just like John the Baptist did. Right? So John the Baptist was like a type of Elijah. He, he wasn't Elijah himself, but he came like in the spirit of Elijah, meaning Man, he was just like Elijah. He had the same zeal. Uh, he operated in the same power, right? He operated like in the same ministry. So he came in the spirit of Elijah. It's like, you know, when you see a, maybe a, a, a baseball player, right? And he's really good. And then, you know, years, years later, you know, his son now is, is playing baseball. And he's really good too. And they say, man, he's just like his father, right? He has that same spirit. He has the same kind of, you know, that same personality. And so when referring to John the Baptist, he, had, he came in the spirit of, of Elijah. Now, Interesting that, that the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament never died. I don't know if you know this about, about Elijah, right? But he never died. I don't know if you've ever seen the, those, those famous uh, those paintings and stuff. It shows a, a chariot with fire, right? They're really famous. So that's actually Elijah the prophet. Elijah the prophet never died. Uh, you can read about it there, there in the book of 2 Kings chapter 2. But he was actually taken up in a chariot of fire into heaven. And so there's a few Old Testament characters who never died. Uh, one of them is Elijah. The other one is, uh, is a, uh, a guy by the name of Enoch, which we read about there in the book of Genesis. And these guys never died. So that's why a lot of people believe that, that Elijah is going to be one of those prophets because 
he never died. You know, but, but God took him, God took him, uh, God took him away to heaven. Now, uh, again, because of the nature of the plagues, also, you know, notice that it says that that, that they're going to be given power to turn the water into blood and bring earthquakes and all these things. Many people believe that this other witness is going to be Moses, right? Because of the nature of the plagues. Now, Moses did die, uh, but we don't. But he died kind of like a mysterious death. Um, and then in the Old Testament, I believe it's in the book of Deuteronomy or Numbers, it tells us that, 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 that God kind of took Moses up into the mountain and, 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 and Moses died up there with God and that God buried him somewhere where nobody knows, you know, so nobody knows where God buried Moses. But in the New Testament book of Jude, Jude tells us that, that when Moses died, that, that, that Satan came to contend for the, body, for, for the body of Moses, right? And he came and he argued and he said, oh, well, Moses is a murderer, you know, he killed that Egyptian and he contended for the body of Moses. But that, but that the angel Gabriel said, hey, man, the Lord rebuke you. And so, they, he, but, so we see that Moses died, but it was kind of like a mysterious death. So there's just so much uh, speculation, so much just kind of mystery surrounding these two witnesses. You know, and I can say, hey, man, it's probably Elijah, it's probably Moses, it's probably Enoch. But at the end of the day, we don't know. We don't know. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, uh, me personally, again, this is just my opinion, so don't take this for truth. You could just take it or leave it or do your own investigation. I don't believe it's Elijah or Moses, because even though Elijah was taken up, even though Elijah was taken up, um, we're told about these two witnesses, we're not told that these guys just appeared on the scene, so it's like, obviously, they had already, they had been born into the world, they had to grow up, and, and God was going to anoint them, it doesn't say that, that they came from heaven, it doesn't say that God made them appear supernaturally, they were just there, they were just part of the crowd of the tribulation period, right, and so that means that they had to be born again, and they were saying that it's going to be Elijah, he's going to come back, now we're talking about reincarnation, and that's, that's just something that, that the Bible doesn't, doesn't, doesn't support, right? Also with Moses, if Moses is going to come back and, and take on another body, that's, again, that's, we're told that these are humans. They're martyrs. They're actually, they're, they're, they're people, right? They're not angels. They're not these, uh, these supernatural beings. They're humans. They're, they're, they're men. So, I don't know, there's a lot of just uh, speculation. There's a lot of gray areas surrounding these two individuals, um, Keep in mind that, you know, that, again, one of the arguments is that, hey, well, it's Elijah because he never died. But, yeah, in the tribulation, I mean, at the rapture, at the rapture of the church, there's going to be a lot of Jews who believe in Jesus who are going to be raptured as well, who never died. So that kind of leaves the ball field open for, for a lot of people. So I don't know, it's just, it's just interesting, you know, it's an interesting passage. And so, but nonetheless, we know that these are two witnesses that God is going to anoint specifically for the second half of the tribulation period, you know, in order to be just good, effective powerful witnesses for him in these in those last days and so going on now in verse in verse 7 going on it says when they finish their testimony the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them he's going to overcome them and he's going to kill them and verse 8 says and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called sodom and egypt where where also our lord jesus was crucified then those from the people's tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. And verse 11 says, Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on, on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them in the same hour. There was a great earthquake, and, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, 
and the rest were, were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. And now it says, the second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. And so we, we get out, we saw now the, 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 the calling of these two witnesses. We saw the, the identity of these two witnesses, the power of these two witnesses. And now we see the death of these two witnesses and actually the, the resurrection of these two witnesses also. And so we see that these two witnesses were killed because of their preaching. Right? When it says that they went out prophesying, the same word for, pro- for, for prophecy is, is, is preach. You know, so they're, they're, they're out there just preaching Jesus, preaching repentance, and they were killed uh, for their preaching. Killed specifically by, by Satan, you know, by, by, by the beast who is, who, is in, who is in the abyss. So They were killed by Satan for their preaching of Jesus. But notice that it says this. It says that they were killed when they finished their testimony. That's what it says. It says when they finished their testimony, the beast you know, uh, killed them. But it says when they finish their testimony. And I was reading that and I got stuck on that. I'm like, man, when they finish, when they finish, when they finish, then they were killed. And, and, and that spoke to me because notice that it wasn't a day before they finished their testimony. Notice that it wasn't a few hours. Notice that it wasn't even a few minutes before they finished. It's like they finished and then God allowed this to come upon them. Right? So it's not that their ministry was cut short, but they were able to accomplish everything that God had for them first, and then, you know, they were allowed to be killed. And, and, and I say that to say this, you know, that, that the devil has no power over our lives. He doesn't. He has no power over our lives. In the Old Testament book of Job, if you're familiar with Job, uh, it says that Satan was roaming, roaming, he was going to and fro throughout the whole earth, and, he, and then he, he went up, he went up to, to, to God, and God said, hey, Satan, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, I've been just kind of roaming around the earth. And, and, Satan, and God said, did you notice my servant Job? And Satan said, yeah, I noticed him. You know? And God said, he's a servant. He's a faithful guy. He's a righteous dude. He serves me. And Satan said, yeah, but he only serves you because you blessed him with so much. And, then, and, and he says, and he told God, give me, give me permission to touch his life, to do all these things to him. And I guarantee you, as soon as I do this stuff to him, he's not going to be so righteous anymore. And God told him, all right, man, look, you can mess with him, but you can't touch his life. Right? And so we see that Satan has no power over, over our lives. He has no power over our lives. And, and until God is done with us here on earth, we're untouchable, you know, as we do as well. And, and that's one confidence that I have, you know, as I, you know, you guys know a little bit about me, me and Liz, you know, we, we go wherever the Lord calls us. If he says, hey, go to Guatemala for a couple of weeks, all right, we'll go. If he says, hey, man, go to the Amazon for a couple of weeks, all right. If he says, hey, go to Colombia for four months, all right, I've gone. If he says, hey, go to Mexico over here, all right, I've gone. And all these places that I've gone to, typically, you know, they're pretty dangerous. And everyone says, hey, man, it's dangerous. Be careful. Your tattoos, this, that, the other. And yeah, you know, I know it's dangerous. And, you know, I've had close encounters. But I have a confidence that, that, that until God is done with me here on earth, I'm untouchable. Doesn't mean I'm, out, I'm reckless. Doesn't mean I go out there and I purposely put myself in danger. But I recognize that, hey, man, until God is done with me, then death has no power over me. But when God says, all right, man, you've accomplished everything I have for you. You know, just like these two witnesses, you finish your testimony. I'm like, all right, Lord, I have peace. I'm, down. I'm ready, right? But, but until then, amen, Satan has no power over our, over our lives. And so we're told that these two witnesses, after they die, we're told that, that, that they will lay in the, in, the, in the streets of Jerusalem for three and a half days. And we're told that their bodies will be put on display for all the world to see. So them being Jews and them dying them, and them and not being buried, it would have been like a, like a disgraceful thing. You know, it, it would have been a, a purposely you know, disgraceful thing. So it's like the people are doing this on purpose. You know, they're not letting them be buried. They're kind of setting them up as, as examples to everybody, right? Keep in mind that, that who's, who's reigning right now, the Antichrist. 
The Antichrist is reigning. I mean, as we're talking about the book of Revelation, he's reigning. You know, it's a whole world that is just a Christ rejecting, you know, Satan worshiping. And, and so these guys come in all of a sudden. They're preaching Jesus. They die. And what do they do? Man, they put their, their dead bodies on display so that everyone could see. And it's like they're setting an example out of them. They're saying, look, man, you want to rebel against the Antichrist? This is what's going to happen to you. So they, they, they put their bodies on display there in the, in the streets of Jerusalem for all to see. And then we see that, uh, that, that, that God breathed life into them, and they were resurrected. Now, just think about how crazy this is, right? Because I don't know how technology is going to be when this happens. I believe that this, I mean, just think about technology now, you know, where, man, I could, I could live stream, and anybody around the world could see my live stream. And so I could just imagine, you know, as this is going on there in Israel, these, these guys are just uh, wreaking havoc, righteous havoc on earth for three and a half years, preaching Jesus doing these awesome miracles. It's probably blasted all over social media, probably blasted all over Facebook, probably blasted all over the TV and the news. And all of a sudden they die. It's like, I'm, I'm, I guarantee you every single person on earth is going to have access to, 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 to the live footage of these guys laying there dead on the streets. And all of a sudden everyone's going to see, every single eye you know, who's watching this is going to see God breathe life into them and then, and then come to life. It's going to be something just amazing. Right? The whole world's going to see it. You know, the whole world is, is going to see God breathe life into these two witnesses. And I, I love this because it says that God breathed life in, into them. It reminds me of, of, of the book of Genesis. Because in Genesis uh, chapter 2, we're told that when God made Adam and Eve, it says that he breathed life into Adam. Right? And so what does that tell us? Hey, God is a life giver and God is a life taker. Right? These guys, their lives were taken, but, but God breathed life into them. And we're told that God takes these two to heaven, and then judgment comes upon the earth for the rejection of God's witnesses. And then we're told that an earthquake kills another 7,000 people, but those who didn't die in the earthquake were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. I mean, maybe they repented. You know, they, all this stuff happened. Everyone just saw this go down. Everyone saw these guys resurrect and, and life come back into them. And so I definitely believe in my heart that, that a lot of people did, did, uh, did repent and did believe in God. And did it after seeing this, like, all right, I think, I think we're, we're striving. And I think we're shadow boxing. We're trying to box with God, and our arms are too short. You know, they're going to realize, and we're, we're, we, God is real, right? God is trying to get a hold of our hearts. And really, again, that's just the mercy of God that God will go through to, to such extremes to reach somebody, you know? I think I said it last week that, that, that there is people who go to hell, but not easily. You know, God is going to do every single thing possible in order for a person to be saved, every single thing possible. And if someone goes to hell, it's over Jesus' dead body, right? Because he's going to do every single thing possible to save someone so that, would, so that they wouldn't have to go to hell. Now, it goes on to say there, verse 15 to 19, and we'll finish with this. It says, Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our, of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was and who is to come, because you have taken your great power and, and reigned. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come, and the time of the dead that they should be judged, and that you should reward your servants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in the temple, and there were lightnings, noises, thunderings, earthquakes, and great hell. And so we see now uh, the seventh trumpet. Remember, we're in the middle of all the trumpet judgments, and we stopped at six. And now we see now the seventh trumpet that sounds. So chapter nine ended with the sixth trumpet, 
we pick it up here in chapter 11, uh, verse 15, with the seventh trumpet, the final trumpet judgment. And we see that, that with this trumpet, with this trumpet blast, God's kingdom is proclaimed. And we're told that there were loud voices in heaven saying, hey, the kingdoms of this world have become the, kingdom, the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. What does that mean? Finally, victory, right? It's the prayer of the church, right? It's, it's, it's what every believer should be praying, Lord, you know, how long? Right, a couple chapters before, the guys who were dying in the tribulation period, they were saying, God, how long until you avenge your death? Lord, how long until you establish your kingdom? Lord, how long until righteousness rules in the, in, the, in the earth? And now finally it's happening. You know, God's kingdom is being proclaimed. And we're told, you know, that the 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces and worshiped God. Now, these are the same uh, 24 elders of chapter 4 and chapter 5, you know, who represent the church, who represent us. And we see that they're doing the same thing as before. They're worshiping, right? They're worshiping at the beginning of the tribulation, and now they're worshiping at the end of the tribulation. They're just worshiping all day long, 24-7, right? And we're told, uh, again, that they're worshiping. Interesting that this, that this word worship, you know, in the Greek, it's, it's the word uh, proskunio, which means, you know, to prostrate oneself to the ground, you know, to kiss the hand, to do homage and, and obscience, you know, being being directly related to God. It's like they're, they're praising, they're worshiping God for what's taking place. Why? Because they recognize that God's kingdom is about to be established on earth. And they say, we give you thanks, O Lord, God Almighty. We give you thanks. And I think that's an awesome place to, to, to stop, you know, just them praising God. And, and, and again, this is, this is what we look forward to, right? This, the book of Revelation, as we mentioned in the beginning, some people approach it with the, with the mentality of, man, all right, it's, this mysterious book with all kinds of weird symbolism and monsters and demons and, and battles between demons and angels and all these things, and we lose focus of, 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 the, of, the, of, the, of the theme of the book of Revelation, and that is Christ being revealed to us, right? And we see that the whole purpose of the, of the book of Revelation is to show us that light at the end of the tunnel, right? That, yeah, although the, work, the world is dark now, although there's death and suffering and, and all these things, Hey, man, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and that's, you know, God's final victory and, and justice and reign on this earth. The book of Revelation ends with chapter 21 and 22, uh, telling us that, that, that there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. And it says, it says there will be no more death, nor crying, no sorrow, nor pain, nor suffering, for the former things have passed away. It says, and all is going to be made new. And that's what we look forward to. As believers, that's what we look to, right? That's what keeps us persevering. Like, all right, Lord, and this isn't forever. Right, it's, it's, it has a beginning and it has an end. Amen. We'll stop right there. And we'll pick it up. We'll pick it up next week with chapter twelve. Start fresh. And Father God, just thank you so much Lord, for your word, Lord. I, I thank you, Lord, that that uh, Lord, it doesn't end. It, it doesn't end here, Lord. It doesn't end with with you know all the things that we see around us, Lord. It doesn't end with destruction and death and and all these horrible things, Lord. But it ends. Uh, it ends, Lord, with, with you reigning, Lord, in, in justice and in mercy, Lord, and in righteousness. And I pray, Father God, that you would just. Uh, Fill us with the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would baptize us with the Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would give us the, the, the strength and the power to just endure, Lord, to endure to the end, Lord, whenever that is for us, Father. May you just minister to my brothers and sisters, Lord. May you just fill them with the Holy Spirit, Father. Bless them this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you, guys.